Hello, it's Shelley F. Knight, bringing you Positive Changes, a self-kick podcast. So today on the show, we're joined by Jen Taylor, and Jen is a mum of 18, a podcaster, coach, speaker, and author. Hello there, Jen. Oh, how are you? I am great, thank you. I'm just fascinated by your title of mum of 18. I just love that. So I'm not sure what your backstory is, but please do share your inspiring story of positive change. There are 18 children. Uh, That was 12 years of foster care. Actually, I went through infertility, um, seven surgeries, and was told I probably wouldn't have kids of my own. And I got up to the point where uh, they want to do in vitro, and I knew that that wasn't my path. And for women who continue on in that journey, bless you, it's, it's really emotional. I was maxed out on medication and had done all of the preliminary day surgeries. And in the end, found out that I was pregnant. And the doctor told me, you know, I was pregnant, but not on the cycle he had set me on. So I randomly shot off this egg that happened. It happened to work, you know. And that experience was one of many that I had had up to that point that made me realize that foster care was really probably a huge calling in my life. I grew up very similarly to kids that are in foster care here in the U.S. And um, I could relate to them. I, I knew what they had gone through because I had gone through it. And I knew that someone made a difference to me. And so it was possible for me to make a difference to another child. So I, I had t- a tough pregnancy. And I knew at the end of that, my infertility journey was over. But I definitely want to do foster care. Interestingly, I got pregnant seven times total. And I, I gave birth to four children and I lost three and that resulted in three more surgeries and a hysterectomy at 33. But wow. those were actually the surprises. Yeah, my body went through an awful lot. Yeah. My seventh pregnancy, I lost twins at 19 weeks and I had the DNC and then a hysterectomy and then I, I, they couldn't stop my bleeding. So I had an emergency surgery and was dead on the table actually. So I've been told I have no recollection of any of that, but I just, uh, it was just part of my physical journey and getting those four kiddos here. And um, I feel really, really blessed. So a lot of people assume that I took in extra kids. Oh, you took in all these extras. Isn't that nice of you? Like that's a common comment that I've gotten. And I was like, actually, I was totally blown away that I gave birth to any. Those were not planned. Uh, (laughs) Those were exceptionally extra and lucky and blessed. But foster care is very much a planned situation. So I adopted five children total. And I had five kids that were kind of extra that either three of them aged out. One was a foreign exchange student from Germany. One I had really long term and I have two siblings and I know the family. So I've been able to keep track of her even though she's left my house. And so if you're doing math, that equals 14. Uh, (laughs) And I did say 18. I actually got divorced in that process. I got divorced 10 kids in and even, uh, though I wasn't married at the time, I did continue to do foster care. So I took, I did one adoption and three kids 
that kind of aged out with me as a single mom, you know, in that period of time. And so I had 14, I had nine at home and my oldest biological daughter, who's, who was about 20 at the time, she's 28 now, wanted to fix me up with some, some boys. So I start dating again. (laughs) And a really good friend of mine went on this journey to fix me up. And I was not super interested but it was it was really fun of them and it was they made it they made the whole thing kind of fun so actually it wasn't the first person I went on a date with I thought there's got to be something wrong with me I hate everyone equally (laughs) and this this person that they fixed me up with Dane had four kids and his wife had died and everything that they told me about him I was like wow he sounds like he's really great for someone but not me you know (laughs) been together since the moment that we met so, Aww. yep, yep. His wife um, had died a couple of years earlier. And so that's how he got 18. So when people ask, people tend to ask the same questions. For the first statement I get is like, oh, you took in all these extras. I'm like, no, I actually gave birth to the extras. Um, and then, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> which ones are yours? All of them. And if yeah. you ask any of them, that would be really offensive. So don't ask me. And I know people are not asking to be. To, to offend anyone, but when you look at it from the from the perspective of a child who was adopted, whose parents were, you know, drug addicts, and they were born drug addicted, and all of the different issues that come with parenting kids in the foster care system, it it is offensive to them that yeah. how they are less mine than biological. And I know people are trying to put it together, and I just say, look, you could line up all eighteen. And you would never guess which four, like you'd be wrong. You might guess one right, but you would definitely guess, probably if you had to guess four that I was biological and four that Dane's biological, you wouldn't nail it. So, you know, don't try. Don't try. <laughs> and that's the other thing about biological, four are his and four are mine. So are some of them less biological than others? I mean, yeah, but that's a, that is the story. That was the 18 kids. And it wasn't, I, I never, there was never a point in time where I thought I want a big family. And there was never a point in time where I thought, well, 18 sounds like a nice round number. <laughs> <laughs> I think I get back actually, and I take things as they come. And I did. And I know that I said no more times than I said yes to taking kids in, which is a sad thing to admit. And that, that means there's lots of kids out there that maybe don't have homes or that need homes and that I wasn't the right fit. I allowed my intuition to guide me. I knew immediately if it was the right fit and immediately if it was not, pre- pretty immediately. Um, and I said no when I needed to and I said yes when it was appropriate and I took it one step at a time. And so it, this is what it amounted to. And that's, you know, there was no end goal in sight or plan I was really winging it so I love that you did make me chuckle with like you know 18 is a nice round number we'll go for that <laughs> I love that yeah it wasn't <laughs> who does that who is like <laughs> it sounds like a great idea because I'm here to tell you it's probably not a great idea to have 18 children I think I've done exceptionally well because it was the life that I chose and I loved it. And I think a big difference in 
our attitude is the lens that we view our life through. And I really viewed it that this was my, even the divorce, I didn't expect to get divorced, but even those things that you struggle with that are not fun to go through, it was still the life I chose and I love it. In one way or another, I got myself there to that decision and that decision and the next one and so on. And so my lens has always been, I chose it and I love it. And I put a hundred a hundred percent in every day. And anyone that's a parent knows that you can give a hundred percent every day. And sometimes that looks like you're knocking it out of the park. Like it's like 150 and you are the poster child of good parenting. And other days it looks like a fraction. And it doesn't mean your effort is any different or your desire or your goals. None of that changes, but life happens. And so sometimes you know, you're human and it's just, you're just not knocking it out of the park as much as you want. And 18 is a big number. It truly is. Bless you. So did you grow up as a foster child yourself? Did you say? I did not. I grew up going through everything that the foster kids had gone through. We did have CPS come to our house when I was probably about 10. And I remember her driving away and wondering why I was not with her why she left us at the house. My sister and I, I, we were, I was three years older than my sister. So as a kid, you don't have much to reference. You may know that things are really not the way they should be, but you don't have anything to compare it to really. And in and almost every case, you also want to protect your parents. Um, I knew innately that things were not right. They were not the way that they should be. And I was actually a kid at 10 that was surprised I was not removed from the, ho from the home, even though I didn't understand the foster care system at all at that point. So I was a kid that definitely could have been removed and through sections of my life should have been removed. That just meant that I understood I could relate physically and emotionally to what these kids have been through. And clearly... Our, our barometer is a bit different. I was never locked in a closet for days. And I had a child that had been locked in a closet for days. Um, but I, I could relate to what that was like based on the experiences that I had, you know, being kicked out of my home, uh, not being able to access my mom, being terrified of the basement. So I could take my own experiences that were similar and put together those emotions. And, and definitely I could understand these kids. I had gone through most, I mean, with exceptions of things like that, you know, I've been through most of what they have been through. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for clarifying that. So you're there and you've made positive change in your life. You've become a mom many, many times. How do you just still make these positive changes now? How do you go on? I think it's a chicken and egg question. I'm not sure if I was innately good at certain things. <laughs> so I got to capitalize on those skills with having a large family or if a large family forced me to become good at things. But I looked at the life that I had led and the fact that I really, really, when I, when I graduated high school at, and moved out on my own at 17, I wanted it to be different. And I didn't know what that looked like, but I knew I wanted it to be different. And I knew some of what I wanted to change. Definitely becoming a parent also makes you realize that you want to make a positive change and kind of in what ways. I, As time progressed, I started to look at 
how did I remain this incredibly optimistic, positive person who wasn't struggling from low self-esteem or, and had good confidence throughout my life, although I came from this really tragic, dysfunctional situation, and then what training I had gotten through foster care, what I had done with these kids to help in their process of creating more gratitude, and I kind of did a resume of my skill sets which is one of the workshops that I do now because I don't think we give ourselves enough credit for the toolbox that we build through our struggles. And if we look at it again, through a different lens of like putting together a resume of our skill sets instead of the jobs we've worked at, like what did you learn at the jobs you worked at? What did you learn? What was your toolbox? What skills did you use? And when you really look at it through that and magnify those, that's, that was really what I had done from the time I was 17 moving forward. And so for me, it didn't seem as difficult one to I did not feel a lot of need for conflict resolution and stress reduction. And I did not, I, I don't get stressed and overwhelmed and anxiety and I haven't suffered from depression. And how, how did I manage that? And so I really looked at that and I, and my kids are older. So as the years have progressed, I've been able to ask them, you know, what did I do that was awful? What was really hard for you to get through? And what did I do that made a really big impact? What did I do that you liked that you'll take on? And what did I do that you liked, but you want to improve? And it's really interesting when you get those answers and that feedback from the kids who had to live in the trenches with you you know I mean they were stuck with me as their mom so um you know I'm certainly not perfect but I was really good at not being overwhelmed and stressed they are such powerful questions I'm just sitting here thinking wow like just to be able to ask your children that like you know how was it for you that's just so powerful Jen absolutely amazing I've loved that actually. I've gotten the best feedback. I started writing a second book on, you know, that how, how there should never be a parenting book because we're all so different as parents. I mean, even Dane and I, we're not alike in our parenting necessarily. And each child comes to you with this completely unique personality and set of issues. In my case, I was taking kids from the foster care system. So they came with some some baggage already, you know, and then we create baggage as we're raising them without trying to, and then they get it from the outside world, bullying, name calling, you know, feeling not good at sports, what, whatever, they start to build this baggage. And so when I started writing uh, the second book, I asked them for feedback on parenting. And then I have a podcast and a few of them have been on and we talk about their perspective like bullying, for example, or going through a divorce, what was your perspective as a child going through that situation? And I share my perspective as a parent in the exact same situation. And it is, you know, parents should do that more. It's not, it is personal. I understand that, but there's nothing you can do to go back and change it, but it is certainly enlightening. And for me, it's really, it's also improved even more my relationships with my kids who are now adults. I just think it's brilliant. I mean, I don't know what I'd get if I asked my six-year-old, <laughs> but like <laughs> when they're older and you're asking them like, you know, how did I do? What did you, you know? What will you take on? Because we do do that. We look back and we think, you know, you're either going to be like your parents or, oh my God, I'm so not doing what my mum did kind of thing. But yeah, I forgot that you can actually ask your kids like, you know, how was it for you? And it's a bit like when I did, um, clinical hypnotherapy when you sort of like get the adult version of Shelley to talk to the inner child of Shelley but it's you know like a kid's view and I'm just like wow powerful stuff 
Thanks. It's been really fun. And if you learn to not take it personally, like, yeah, I screwed up. I raised my voice too much. I didn't handle that situation well. I'm, I mean, I'm a human being. Parenting, we have no manual. There shouldn't be a manual. We're flying by the seat of our pants. And when we're presented with a situation, it's usually immediate and urgent and right in your face. And sometimes we react really well in that and sometimes not. And so I, I think as a parent, you have to you know, if you're trying your best, you have to also give yourself grace. And then I like to ask my kids for feedback. And even, but even at six, you can say, well, if you were the mom and, and you had to answer this question, how would you answer it? What do you think your punishment should be? I, my kids will give themselves harder punishments than we will, you know, convince me and choose your punishment. Those are some good ones. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting because our eldest, he's actually got autism. And so when, you know, go back about a few years ago now, and he would do things as any child would, but he doesn't get this whole kind of like punishment timeout kind of thing. And uh, so I say, what do you think is the appropriate reaction here? And so we've actually done it, I guess, without realizing because we don't see the world as he does. And so we used to say, what would you do? And as you say, he'd be far harsher. We'd be like, oh, really? Maybe not. <laughs> Yeah, I have a social autistic too, and it, I, and I mean that is what a great example that that people with autism don't view the world in the same way that we do, so their reactions are quite different. Yeah, kids are the same way. I remember my nephew once in the grocery store with my sister, and he was pulling things off the shelves and putting them in the basket, and she said, "What are you doing?" And he said, "You get to put in put things in the basket that you want." Because in his mind, he didn't understand menu planning and budget. And any of that, what in his like seven-year-old brain, he saw my mom gets to put whatever she wants in the basket, which isn't the truth at all. But it, sometimes if we just take a moment to ask, it's pretty shocking what kids reveal because their perception is quite different than ours. Yeah, absolutely. What I also loved, you was talking about like the toolbox, like when you have go through something, you learn something and you've got all these tools and you think, what tools do you use? Do you have daily tools you use or do you have tools for certain situations? I definitely take a breath. I, I, I'm not super quick to anger, but I am super quick to volume. And so I could be talking to you and excited, like, oh my God, Shelly, this just happened. And my volume will go up. And, you know, Dane's like, you're yelling. And I'm like, I'm not. Total normal voice of excitement right now, you know? It's completely normal. But I'm very loud. And so that included discipline, which is called yelling. You know, you're yelling at your kids. And and I am of the mind where I'm like, sometimes maybe they need to be yelled at. So that's not a bad thing. But I think I have learned to take a breath. And I also know that certain things for no apparent reason will trigger us. And that's happened in my life many times. It happens sometimes when you're at work, at a job, uh, especially if it's a coworker that rubs you wrong, where all of a sudden you are just infuriated like a switch. And I really take a breath and take a step back and examine that because it's so out of character. And, and I think it's fun to play with those things. So that is definitely a skill that I have learned that I have used where I'll say, I have no explanation to why I am so angry right now, but I'm pissed. And I need to figure out why, because my level of anger does not match the situation at all. And recognizing that, 
that you're human and that's okay and that we have triggers. And so I, when I feel myself getting angry, I've learned to take a breath. Daily, my, the biggest tip that I could give anyone that I do daily, and I've done this for years and years and years and years, and I did it with my kids and I can tell you how, is three new things every day that you're grateful for. It is very easy to recognize the things that are crappy in our day and even to talk about them or tell the other person that they got our coffee order wrong, wrong at the coffee shop. It's really easy. But we don't seem to take the same amount of time to do the positive things, to say, you got my order right and this coffee is fantastic and I appreciate you and have a good day. We don't take five seconds to do that, but we'll take 20 seconds to tell them they did it wrong. And so what I did with my kids at dinner, dinner was a big deal. And when they were little, we didn't have cell phones because my oldest daughter's 28 now. And I really had to shut myself down. Like the laundry can wait, everything can wait and give my kids 30 to 60 minutes at dinner to actually plant your seat, plant your butt in your seat and sit there and engage. And it was hard as a mom with a lot of little kids and a million things to do. And as they got older, I told them, you know, I had to shut myself off to sit down with you and give you that time. And now you need to shut your stuff off to give that time to me. But dinner was a very big deal and it's a technology free zone. And we would sit down and I called it high-low and the kids could tell me one thing about their day that wasn't that great. Cause with kids, I want them to be able to, we figured, I figured out that they were, there were bullying issues or that they were having trouble with a teacher. I mean, it's important to, to tap into your kids and give them the spotlight for things that may be negatively happening in their life. And then three things that were really good about their day. And they're different than the day before. And it couldn't be dinner. Their bad thing and their good thing could not be about the food that they were eating. Well, my low today is what you made for dinner. Couldn't, that wasn't allowed. <laughs> Don't bash the cook. So like we had some rules around it, but they, you know, we had a huge family and it was a really good way for me to kind of give that child a spotlight, let them know they were important. And if other kids were interrupting and stuff like, hey, you know, Alana has the floor right now, so zip it, it's her turn. And it got them in the habit of, of three, which is a number that repeats in my life for a long time, and there is scientific proof on it, so I'm not crazy for that reason. But, you know, three new things you're grateful for. And when you do that, when you write something down, three new things you're grateful for every day, it trains your brain, brain to search for the positive in the world. So within 21 days, you're actually spending time in your day without realizing it, looking for things that you can write down later on that night. And you're, you don't process it that way, but you're searching for the good in the world. And we need our brains to be triggered more by things that are positive surrounding us than negative. And I've been doing that for like 30 years. And it's, and it's the number one thing that I use in coaching is that that's the first thing that you do. That's the first assignment. That's brilliant. I wake up and I do like five gratitudes, but sometimes I'll be honest, I get stuck at three, something where there's science proof <laughs> that three is a good number. I'm so stopping at three tomorrow. Cause sometimes Jen, I'm absolutely rubbish. I'm going through and like, I'm grateful for the house and the shelter I've had overnight. Cause I say like what I'm grateful for and why. And then sometimes I wake up like an hour late and I've just bored myself back to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. You know, five is a great, it doesn't matter what time of day you do it. it. It's just three new things. And that's the only reason why in the, I encourage people to try to do it at bedtime because your day has just occurred. 
that doesn't mean you're not grateful in the morning or that it's easier to do in the morning or that you can't do it in the morning, but it's three things that happened to you in that day that just occur occurred. And I love that. I love that we actually start looking for things that are positive in the world around us, small things, really small things. It doesn't have to be, it can be that you made your bed. I don't care what it is, but I want people to train their brains to start looking for the positive because there's so much more positive surrounding us than we realize or give credit for because the negative is such a bright light. You know, it kind of like dulls all of the other and we, we need to search for that, the good stuff. Bless you. You got so much great advice. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? The best piece of advice when my first daughter was born, and I've given this a lot, is to cherish every moment. And I mentioned that she's 28, and I swear to you, Shelly, it was like last week that I was pregnant. It, <laughs> it was like, there is, I, she's 28, but it's weird because so am I. Like, I'm still 28. So I know my birth certificate says I'm turning 50, but time goes by so fast. And I, I didn't realize when I was a brand new mom that how much that would mean to me. But I knew that like you're, when you're pregnant for nine months, it's like seven years, but the first year <laughs> of life is like two minutes, you know, time is very skewed. And so to cherish every moment and I did, and it still blew by, it still went so fast. So cherish every moment for sure. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, like we've got a teenager now and I'm like, no, we can't have a teenager. No, it's not possible. Then you realize you've been together like seven years. Oh, no, it is possible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you do the three gratitudes in the evening, which I love because I have this sort of daily practice myself. Do you do any affirmations or sayings to keep you on track? Yep, that's another thing also. And like, I mean, my I have a tattoo on my arm that says believe. And I think you really need to dig deep to figure out what those words or statements are that give you purpose, passion, and drive. And sometimes we have to find them and sometimes we have to remember them because we lose sight in the hustle and bustle of the everyday mundane world and the stresses and conflict, we kind of forget, we lose track of that. And so it's super important. So I, you don't, I, you do, I'm not encouraging you to tattoo words on your body to remember. I mean, I can remember that word without the tattoo, but it's more that there are, there are things that mean a lot to you that kind of kick your button gear for that purpose, passion, and drive. And so I love sticky notes and lipstick on the bathroom mirror. I, and so that's what I encourage. Once you find those, those, those statements or those sayings that give you that purpose, passion, and drive, keep them around somewhere where you see them every day. Is it the same affirmations or just whatever comes up? Like you see, quite intuitive, aren't you? Yeah, I think I have been at some things. Um, no, I created a quiz actually to help find them. And I did it for a, a company a while back who graciously let me use it for my own business. But it was, I was uh, tasked to create a quiz to help people determine what their, what their words are, what their reasons are, the reasons that give you purpose, passion, and drive. And their language is a little bit different, but yeah, you there's a, actually a quiz that I have on my website you can take and it's me on the other end. I review every single one of them and I kind of go through and based on people's answers, I can pick out 
what those words or sayings are, and then you tweak them. So if I said, oh, Shelly, travel came up a lot. Travel's really important to you. But for me, I like the word wanderlust. So you think, oh, yeah, that, you know, that is, travel is really important to me, but that's not the word that means the most. So can they change? Yes. Do a lot of them stay the same? Yes. So that's something that you kind of have to revisit because we're not static as individuals. But, you know, the things that I loved when I graduated and I was 17 and I took uh, my first personality test and stuff, that hasn't changed in all of these, in 33 years. But maybe the way I view it is a little bit different or the word, the language behind it is a little bit different. So a lot of them remain the same consistently. That's brilliant. So is this part of your coaching that you do the affirmations and the toolboxes? So you're helping people create positive changes all the time? Yes. So the, the biggest part of my speaking platform and my coaching is compounding joy is what it's called. And I love the theory of compound interest. And I'm not math adept at all. But the theory of compound interest back when I learned it in high school, I realized, oh my gosh, everything is compound interest. So where the mortgage in your house, you know, you we can see compound interest working all the time where people go, oh yeah, that makes sense. But it can work against you or for you. It works for you in an investment. It works against you on a mortgage, that sort of thing. And that is the same with the friends that you have and the decisions that you make and the people that you love. And so my goal is to have fast, easy daily actions that over time add up to a lot more, which is the theory of compound interest. So it's not a one and done. It's not super fast. It's, it's, but it's not taking a lot of time and effort and just doing things over, over time and watching how that changes. So yeah, I do that. But the quiz is free on my website. Anybody can take it. It doesn't have to be. It is part of my coaching package, but it's also something anyone can do because I think it's really, really important to get in touch with who you are. I was great at that, and then I got divorced, and I worked three jobs, and I had nine kids at home, and I was overwhelmed and stressed out, and someone asked me, you know, what can I get you at the store? And I, it was like deer in the headlights. I couldn't answer what drink I wanted you to get. Like, hey, if I'm going to spend $5 at the store and do something nice for you, what do you want it to be? I, I, I couldn't answer that question. I was so out of touch and so stressed and so overwhelmed. And I remember when that happened, I thought, holy cow, how did I get here? Because I, it hadn't been like that for 20 years for me. And I never want to go back. So what did I do in that first 20 years and in foster care? What toolbox, what skill set did I have that I maintained that? How did that get derailed? And how can I make sure it's never derailed again? And it was really my own hitting rock bottom post-divorce. It wasn't the divorce. It was the aftermath of it that was the toughest for me personally. And so what did I do to do that? And then when I took myself through the same journey that I had in that initial 20 years and through foster fostering kids and through all my training, I was like, wow, I had this great toolbox and really cool people along the way that helped. And everybody can do this, and it's not a lot of time. You are going to gain time. You're not going to lose it. I'm not going to ask you to do all this stuff. And, and it's about remembering who you are or, you know, like rekindling that fire that you used to have or that's somewhere in there that we, we put on the back burner. It's, it's there. We just get overwhelmed by life. So, I, yeah, I love it. And it's, that's all – that's my whole goal is to take moms who are just – not in that great headspace 
and figuring out when were they, how was that, what's important to them, and let's get back there and not, not leave that space. I love that. On the back of my first book, I put um, that Shelley F. Knight is like a nurse, clinical hypnotherapist, wife, mother, daughter, general label being, or something like that. And we do just get all these labels. And then it's unsurprising when I started my podcast, the second episode is called Who Am I? And it goes from that chapter where I was just sort of like, who was I before I had the children? Who was I before I became the nurse? And we just forget who we are. We just stuck with who we're told we are, like you're my daughter, you're my wife, you're my mum. And it happens so easy without us giving permission, doesn't it? Yeah. And we do it to ourselves. We allow other people to do it and we do it to ourselves. And I am the wife and I am the mother, but those are only facets that are part of my personality. They may be a huge, I mean, 18 kids is a huge part of my personality and who I am. But, but my, why did I become a mom of 18 is me. And that hasn't left. That still remains. And that was a person that I wanted to reconnect with. And so, yeah, we, we do. We just allow those labels to stick on ourselves and we throw a few on also. And, and then we become this hot mess of no idea who we are, no identity of our own. I went to the dog park once with one of my girls and I always told them like, I'm Ashley's mom or Brianna's mom or Nicholas's mom. Like, I haven't, my name is Jennifer. Hello. You know, like I, I have an identity and we went to the dog park and this guy said, oh, you know, which dog is yours? I said that one. He goes, Oh, you're Maddie's mom. And she looked at me. I was like, don't even go there with me. Like now I'm the dog's mom too. You've got to be kidding me. I like this, I, this I, hard stop right here. This is not happening. You know, it, it's ridiculous. And I thought even at the dog park, I got labeled and I, you just, you can't allow it to happen. Yeah. I'm Maddie's mom, the dog which is a very small part of who I am. So let's remove that label maybe or alter it or put it in its place. I love that. So we've got a dog and my husband goes, go to mummy, go to daddy. And I've had a bit of a battle of fertility, should we say. And so I'm just, when we first got, I was like, don't say that I've mothered the dog after all my fertility battles. I've just bought a cockapoo. Don't put that on my journey. Do you know what I mean? If I could have paid £800 for my child, that'd been far easier than what I went through. I'm not the dog's mum. Yeah, amen to that. And on Mother's Day, you don't get presents for being a dog mom. And I'm not minimizing an infertility issue because my 28-year-old daughter had the same issues as I am, and she is not having children of her own and has two dogs. And, and you know, she does not get a present on Mother's Day. It is not the same thing. And so we need to put this in perspective where it belongs. So no, you're not the dog's mom. I'm not, no. She's got awful table manners, worse than the kids. <laughs> Bless you. So how do you keep your identity? You sort of did a perspective change there. So when you said like, you're not mum of 18, but your desire to be a mum of 18 is who you are. And it's just a slight switch, but it's, Oh, so powerful. So is that how you keep your identity from a change of perspective? I think so. Yes. And I think it was super important. And you can, I would love for you to speak to this. Also, we get into a relationship with a person and say, I'm in a relationship with this man. And all of a sudden he likes dirt biking. So I like dirt biking. And I think it's so easy 
there there's a healthy amount of that like i'm glad that you like dirt biking and i will support you in it and i will understand it enough to have a conversation with you it doesn't become part of my identity it becomes part of my support to his identity and i think it's very very easy for most people to get sucked in to someone else's identity and assume it ourselves and i I kind of think I liked who I was, even though I was clueless in college and stuff. I liked who I was. I didn't want to assume someone else. I want to really figure out who, who Jen was. And so that has been kind of a lifelong journey when people say, uh, you have 18 kids. Oh, you have such a big heart. Yes, I have such a big heart and I wanted to make a difference. And I tried really hard to make that happen. And as a result, I am mom of 18, but I didn't lose my identity to being a parent. I didn't lose my identity to my partner. I took it on in a huge way, but where it wasn't necessarily all of me. It didn't consume me. And I didn't, and although parenting can be all consuming, I didn't lose who I was. I like to run. I'm a runner. I run at five o'clock in the morning because that's the time of day that I can get it in and maintain part of my identity that it doesn't interfere with my the part of me that's a mom or a partner so that's what I do but I didn't lose the things that I was passionate about myself me by myself that had nothing to do with parenting nothing to do with the relationship nothing to do with anything anybody but me and I think it's really really important because I've had we're down to one child at home four years ago I had 12 at home so we had kids very very close together I you know we had two that graduated two that graduated three that graduated we had them we had 12 of the 13 adopted and biological kids were born in 10 years. It was a mass, it was three kids in diapers on the front end and a mass exodus on the back end. And there is no way I wanted to be the parent who sat at home sobbing, having empty nest syndrome, not knowing what was next in life. I refused to do that. And I understand how it happens and why it happens. And yes, you love your kids. Where are you in all of this? Where did you go? How did you disappear and lose it? And how can we find it and get it back? Because you should be celebrating your kids moving out and moving on and starting their own adventures. You're never done being a parent. So, but what does that mean for you? And I really made sure I maintained a lot of the things that were innately passionate about me that weren't related to the other kids. Did I drag them on runs on their bikes? Yep, I did. It was part of their life. But, you, you know, you, you have to find ways to continue to do the things that you love and not lose yourself in all of it and assume, like, now I'm a dirt biker, you know? I am not a dirt biker. I don't even know what I'm talking. I mean, that was just a silly example, but I don't want to become a dirt biker because the guy that I'm married to is a dirt biker, if that makes sense. So I made sure that I maintained what I liked and didn't assume the, uh, the identity of other people along the way, including my kids. I absolutely love it. I mean, I work a lot with grief. That's what my next book's about. And it is ex exactly what you're saying that the amount of people that have, I know it's so painful. I know that I was not, you know, discrediting that at all. But when people say, I don't want to do myself, he was my other half. And I just find myself saying, but you were whole before you met them and you'll be whole again. And when you start to give away your identity and when you don't know who you are in isolation of someone else, it just becomes really confusing. And it does hurt when you feel like your other half has gone. And so I love the way you put it. 
I can't imagine feeling like half of myself is gone or dead or left me or abusive or I mean, that's not the case. And it doesn't minimize the hurt because it hurts like hell. But it is a it's something that happened to you. It's not who you are. And so my kids were a really great blessing that happened to me. They aren't who I am. I love that separation. I really do. So you're saying again about the identity of like the husband, wife, all the partners and things like that. And it just really resonated with me. So we've been together like 14 years now, my husband and I, and we still have a date night every, yeah. you know, every week we still have that. And so tonight, because of like recording podcasts this week and that we had a mini date. So we just had like tapas while the kids were doing something and the kids, you know, they're, our kids are six, eight, 10 and 14. And, um, they go, oh my God, you're still kissing. Oh my God, don't snog. Or they're coming and dive bomb in the middle. But exactly like you said, it's just like one day they're going to go and we're going to be like, why were we together? Who were we before this happened? Who was it? You know, and we are part of their life story and I want it to be a good life story for them really. And so it's so important to, you know, just embarrass your kids by snogging for one. Yeah. The public, the better. Yeah. But it is, again, comes back to the identity of being whole and then, you know, not giving everything over. And I like to think that I've got a nice balance in my life because my husband's like a gamer and the geek and like Mr. Science. And I'm like, oh, bright colors and soft fabrics. So, you know, get some candles going. Yeah, we're like that too. There's no dirt biking happening. That was actually, that was a, just a wild example. He's actually gaming with our 10 year old right now while I'm recording this. So <laughs> yeah, I think, and you know, he loves to golf actually. And it was something I kind of always wondered about. Maybe I would like to golf. I don't know. Maybe when I get older, that would be a hobby that I would have. And he bought me this $800 golf set on mother's day a couple of years ago. And he, he has had his pro card and he can coach and teach. And so he was going to teach me. And I said, yeah, I want to take these back. And he, <laughs> you want to take them back? And I said, I love being your caddy. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like reading the green, knowing what, which, um, you know, which one you should use, telling you, no, you need your three iron on this. Show. Like, I love that side of the game. I don't want to carry your clubs, but I make a really good caddy. I don't really want to learn how to play golf. I, I actually have zero interest in playing it, but I have a lot of interest and walking the course with you and being outside and being in nature for a whole day and telling you which club you should use for this shot. Like I take, I do all the measurements. I track him. I have the little GPS. I love that. And I'm like, so like, I, I won't, I don't want to take on this part of your identity. This is, we can do this together, but not in the traditional way you would think. And so I think, you know, sometimes you have to really take a step back. Cause at first I was like, yes, golf clubs. I'm going to, we're going to be that power couple on the golf course. And then I was like, oh, I just do not want to. <laughs> I love it. You're thinking, oh yeah, we'd say that you make him really happy. You're like, make yourself happy. It's like, it's no way I'm doing that. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I don't want to offend you. He's like, I'm taking, this was 800 bucks. I'm taking it back and getting you a caddy kit. It's like $50. <laughs> This is awesome. But you, you, it is really easy to get caught up in that. And I am a huge proponent. If you are in a relationship, kids or no kids, you have a date night and there are rules to the date night. And that is huge. And, 
And I love that our kids have grown up completely disgusted that we kiss in front of them because as much as they're grossed out and whining and it's all funny, that is something they will never forget because you want to mirror the relationship that you want them to have. And that's vital. So date night is like, man, date night, there are no excuses. You could, you better have pneumonia be in the hospital. You, you, there has to be a massive excuse to not go on date night. And during quarantine, you know, when places weren't open, we'd go through the drive-through of a, we, we don't eat almost any sugar, but we would be like, let's get a donut. <laughs> and we'd get coffee and a donut and we'd sit in the car in the parking lot. We, hell or high water, we're figuring out how to go on date night. And we create rules around date night because you need to have a mutual respect and what does it mean to each of you and how does it look? And it, it happens. It has to happen. So that's, again, that's a huge part of building gratitude and confidence and healthy relationship too. Yeah. I mean, we don't get out much. We've got four children and we don't like get out much. We have to like do major planning, like some kind of escape plan to get out on a date. Like, cause it's very hard to find people to have four children to look after. I've discovered like one or two. Oh yeah. And then it's like three. Everyone starts to be a little bit busy on that day, even though you haven't named the date. <laughs> By the time you get to fourth, they're like, no, then, then we threw a dog into the equation. It's just like, well, I you know once a year you can go out if it's your birthday and you know, a bit like yourself, you haven't got pneumonia in hospital. But so sometimes we just create date nights at home, but it's still that connection, you know, like even if it's in your dining room or your lounge, like a bit of makeup, not my husband, that'd be strange. I put the makeup on and you just do something like watch a show or one of you cook or just talk about your week. It's been mental, anything, but it is that, you know, what makes us us without the kids? Yeah, because eventually, and I remember we're a blended family, which has been, I mean, kids are super tough four kids is super like the more it's it all of it's tough blending families is ridiculously hard and there was a point I know where I was like oh my gosh we are so in over our heads with this parenting gig we've got going on and it was just a really talking about a mental week you know and he's like yeah you know in like the next five years we'll be down to one and you don't ever want to wish that time away because I know, and we are, we're down like this in the next month, we're down to one and she's 10. There's a, there's an eight year gap between her and the next one. But still, I mean, it was like, holy crap, did we have, we had that conversation yesterday, but it's been five years, you know, that since we had that conversation and he said, it was in my moment of like, oh my gosh, this is so hard. And he's like, it, it's going to be over so fast and we're going to be left in the end, you and I. So that's where the focus needs to be on you and I together being strong and keeping ourselves sane while it's really difficult because soon it will be over. And it is. It's so strange. You mentioned it near the start and I was just like, wow. So you just, was it eight or 10? It just suddenly you're down to one. Yeah. So the kids that were kind of extra and aged out, none of them have lived in the house since before he and I were together. So those five, and I call them the extras and I call the other kids a permanent residence because we've got papers on them. You know, they were adopted or biological. So there's 13 of those kids that are like permanent that we got to adopt. And of the 13, 12 were born in 10 years. So it was, 
I mean, it was, there were all, we had seven kids in high school at the same time. And those were the years where I was like, you know, there were moments in those years, I should say, where I was like, holy cow, what do we get ourselves? Like, why do we think we were going to be good at doing this? You know, we don't even have a license to fish. Here we are doing this. And, you know, it, it was really hard because kids go through super tough stuff. And because we were from a blended family, there, there, were, there were situations that had created baggage from both of us that wasn't intentional on either our parts, but that made it more difficult in that situation. You know, these kids came, they're my stepkids. I, I love them the same. I've never called them that. I don't think of them that way. But, you know, I, here I was. Who was I to jump in and take over parenting? You know, they had someone that did that. And, and it just makes it more difficult. And in those tough times, yeah, seven in high school, where I was like, oh, my gosh, this is really hard. And looking back, I, it kills me because we're in the process of buying a house right now. So we've talked about the houses that we've lived in in the last many years. And we were talking to the kids like, what were your favorite part houses or parts of the houses? And when they tell us their memories, I'm like, wow, maybe we didn't screw them up as much as we thought we did. <laughs> maybe we did a couple of things. And I know that we did. I'm being kind of silly, but their memories are so fantastic of that time when there were seven in high school. We were just talking about it the night before last. A bunch of the kids came over and I was like, wow, because my perception was those were, there were really, really tough moments in those years. And their perception was, I love the house that we lived in and the adventures that we went on and how close they all were as siblings in age. And that even in the blending of the family, they all, they live together in houses now. They all rent houses together, like his kids, my kids, adopted kids, extra kids. They're all, they're all together doing things. And so, I mean, now we get to look at it with some hindsight, like, okay, <laughs> We got through that and it was okay. And now we are left without seven kids with one child at home who's 10, you know, and I never want to look at him now and think we did a bad job back then and we don't. And I never want to look at him now and be like, okay, now what? Like, who are you? What do we do now? You know, and we don't. And people will say, wow, you must not know what to do with yourself. I'm like, oh, I got a list. I got a list of stuff to do with myself. I have no problem coming up with things to do with myself now that the kids are gone. Like tons of lists. We have no, there, there's no lack of, of things to think about in that regard now that we have so many out of the house. So yeah, you, it's really important to keep your identity and work through those tough, tough things. And, make, and remember that that's the relationship that's going to stand the test. Yeah. I love it. I love the fact that your kids still live together. Is that like one of those light bulb moments you think, I've nailed this. My kids choose to live together when they can live anywhere in the world. Yeah. It, I mean, we've had, let's see, one, two, three, four living together at the same time in the same house. Um, you know, we have like two over here and two over here and three over here. And they don't, I think because we didn't care, you know, it's not like yours, mine and ours. It was, they were just our kids and a story. And I was respectful that I wasn't the primary mom to some of them. And he wasn't the primary dad to some of them maybe, but um, that we worked together a hundred percent of the time. There was no middleman. There was no, and um, we had for the most part, good communication with, um, our a former partner, you know, and he had lost his. So that was a different situation to navigate tenderly. Um, 
but yeah, now we look at it and it's just like when they were kids and younger where they would match up with, it wasn't the same two playing together all the time. They would rotate through who played. And it must be like that to some degree in your house with four. Yeah. Sometimes a six-year-old and the 14-year-old will, and other times they're driving each other crazy. So the 10 and the 14 and the eight and the six, and they rotate, right? And um, now that they're adults living together and stuff, sometimes they don't like each other. And sometimes there's an issue. And sometimes somebody did something mean to someone else. And these two are living together. It's It hasn't changed. That has not changed. But they're adults and they handle it differently. And I just kind of shrug and go, well, you guys have worked it out before. I'm sure you'll figure it out now. It's not part of my parenting at this point, so I, I don't worry about it. It's just a constant revolution of uh, who they're closer to now more than others, and it it changes all of the time. But they do live together, quite a few of them, successfully. So we must we must have done something right, you know. You seriously have. I could speak to you for hours. I absolutely love it, like your relationship, the way you're just so authentic and raw about your parenting I just think it's so refreshing absolutely love it so you're out there as we know you're a podcaster author superwoman general <laughs> how can people get in contact I've got you down as Facebook Instagram Twitter Pinterest you've got websites YouTube <laughs> how would you like people to reach you easiest way to find me is just to go to the website which is momof18.com and it doesn't matter if you spell it or you use the numbers you're gonna end up in the same place um, momof18.com it has the links to all my social media so basically if I'm on it and it's the one that's the most comfortable for you you can reach out there's a contact form if you want to do it that way there's a phone number that's a google voice number my email is on my I mean like there's five million ways that we can get in touch and connect. So choose the one that makes the most sense to you and I'm on the other end. It's been absolutely fabulous. Thank you so much for sharing all of your positive changes. Thank you, Shelley. It was a pleasure. If you enjoyed today's episode, please make sure you subscribe and leave a positive review. If you would like to create your own positive changes, you can buy Positive Changes, a self-kick book from all online book retailers or from ShellyFKnight.com. If you need a dollop of positivity until the next episode, come like and follow us over on Facebook at Shelly F. Knight. Life Goes On. As always, I've been Shelly F. Knight and you've been amazing.